thank you everybody um, for the second London Hug event. For those who've been to the previous one, uh, you'll know that we're trying to, to grow the group. We're trying to expand, we're trying to educate and teach. And there's a lot of things that we want to achieve over the next year or so. And hopefully we're going to get some feedback and some guidance from, from the community on what we actually do. My name's Cluid. My company is White Hat. So we're an inbound marketing agency. We're a gold partner. And we essentially implement HubSpot solutions. That's pretty much the entire sales pitch you're going to get from me because today is not about sales. It's not about selling anything. It's about educating and teaching. Uh, and really the goal here is to bring in speakers to get you up to date with some of the latest technologies, to understand trends, to give you some feedback. And I would encourage you during the day to ask questions. There's a lot of experience in the room. There's a lot of people who know an awful lot. So if you want to learn, then ask. And if you want to teach, then please share, because there's a fantastic opportunity. This group will grow. We've slightly low numbers today, which is due to weather conditions and everything else. Um, but the goal is to take this group up to several hundred people, top marketers and heads of sales, heads of business from across London, people who use HubSpot, people who are interested in using HubSpot, and HubSpot certified partners. So this is not a white hat event. You'll see that there are other agencies here, and we encourage them to come and take part. I really don't want to do a... an update on that. Um, some resources for you. The slides will be shared. So everybody here, I have your email address, hopefully. Um, but there are a couple of resources there. We've got a HubSpot user group on LinkedIn. Uh, we've got an actual web page hosted on HubSpot technology. Uh, the Wi-Fi here is the L39 visitor um, domain. So you can connect to that. There should be no password. And we've got a hash London hug if you want to tweet and share. So please do that. Agenda, quite simple today. Welcome, which is what we're doing now. We're going to have Christian give a, uh, an overview of the, the vision of HubSpot. Take a break, networking, chat. We're going to have Ed talking about building a better qualified lead, which is all about email and working the middle of the funnel, which is incredibly powerful. And I'm going to finish off with a very brief presentation on integrating sales and marketing, which is a lead-in to something that's going to happen next year. And I'm going to just hold off on what's going to happen next year and leave it to this, these guys to actually do a quick introduction. Welcome, everybody, to the London Hug. Thank you for being here, and thank you to Cluid and the White Hat team for organizing today's event. Hey, who are you anyway? I am David Winehouse. Oh, baby, and where are we? Uh, we are in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in HubSpot headquarters. And who are you? I My name ask. is Dan Tyre. I'm employee number six at HubSpot, and I'm all in to see uh, the uh, London Hug grow and develop. Right? These hugs are so important to our ecosystem. What is a hug, anyway? So a hug is a HubSpot user group, but you guys know that because you're here. 
What's important is that the hug is an opportunity to come together, learn from each other, and be a community of inbound practitioners who are all trying to help our businesses grow and succeed and do it the right way. Very good. So our one ask is to make sure you spread the word, make sure that you're very inclusive in uh, the growth of the hug. And uh, hopefully David and I will get over to London sometime in 2018 to present. Absolutely. Boom. Cheers. Thank you very much. I love those guys. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, keep that in mind, and I'm going to come back to to those two particular characters later on. What we're going to do now, just a quick question. I know there's a number of people here who use HubSpot. They've got it um, implemented. Was anybody over in Boston uh, for the inbound conference? Fantastic. Um, I was there. It's a, it's a great event. I would encourage everybody to go next year. It's a wonderful way to learn. But one of the things I picked out is that there's a huge flood of functionality and um, change, both in the industry and also coming from HubSpot itself. And what I wanted to do is, is to try and summarize that, and there's just no way I can, so I brought the best person that I possibly could to do that instead. Um, so I'd like to introduce Christian, who's head of HubSpot EMEA. Flown in, flown in? Flown, <laughs> he flew in this morning uh, from Dublin, so we really appreciate um, that. And I'm just going to hand over to Christian right now, and I'm going to fire up his presentation. Hopefully. Yeah, it's running. Looks right. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Cluid. Good morning, everyone. How are you all today? Good? Good. Um, for those that have been, I, I'm, uh, I was thinking, crikey, has some of this content been used at Inbound? I don't think it has, so it's not going to be a, a repeat of the same content. Um, very excited to be here. Thank you all for, for inviting me. Thank you, Cluid and team, and, and for all of you to, to give me the opportunity to speak in front of you. Um, I was smiling at my two colleagues, the, the two guys from, from Cambridge. I think Dan Tyre, the fellow on the left, I've never seen him not wearing something with HubSpot on it. I think... His entire wardrobe is made of HubSpot t-shirts and hoodies and things, but uh, they're great guys. We'll hear more from them later. Um, I think for today, I want to talk a little bit about um, some things that are happening in the industry, things that are happening more generally, uh, how that relates internally to HubSpot from a product set, and we'll try and connect some of those dots together as to how we're thinking. I'm not going to dive into micro detail. I won't be digging into product feature functionality topics. It's... Uh, uh, it's not something I want to try and cover today, but just give you a high sense of where we're going, why we're going there, and uh, some things that are interesting in, in how we're thinking at the moment. Um, before I dive into my presentation, um, Clue touched on this. Uh, I've flown in from Dublin. Uh, our headquarters for EMEA, for Europe, Middle East, Africa, are, are in Dublin. Um, we've grown and expanded that, that team. It's probably worth sharing with you that um, we initially started the business over there in 2013, we had um, an initial goal of about 75 people was to build out that office. That would be the first one outside the U.S. was to, to set up in Dublin. Uh, bless you. Um, we thought that would be an interesting way to set up uh, probably a sales marketing hub from, from Dublin. No pun intended. Um, the goal then expanded to 150, 300. We're now at 420. We'll probably go somewhere uh, seriously north of that. And we've been growing and expanding ever since, which is... Really exciting story. Um, we've got lots of things happening out of Dublin. We've a very big, robust product engineering piece. So we 
We're very proud. We're building core products out of Dublin. I'm going to touch on one of those uh, during the presentation. Um, so we have a lot of good things happening there, uh, servicing Europe, uh, primarily Middle East Africa is uh, our emerging markets, but uh, it's important, I think, uh, our company gen- uh, does appreciate that to service Europe, you need to be inside Europe and understand uh, some of the nuances, and hence my role and, and some of the folks in Dublin is to make sure that we listen to you, and that's part of why I'm here today, so please do share any thoughts, feedback, insights, comments, good, bad, everything else, I'd love to hear them today, so um, I'd like to take that back with me as well, so you can plug it back into ecosystem. So so without further ado, uh, my presentation today, um, I think to start with this, and this is a little bit way out there, we're going to come back into to HubSpot, but um, there's for sure a massive shift that you've all seen, felt, and you're, you're seeing all the time in how we interact with technology. There's uh, much, much more voice interactive technologies in the market. Mobile is the obvious big one. Um, Siri, Cortana, Echo, uh, Google Home, there's a lot of devices now that's changed fundamentally how we interact with technology. And that is not something that's coming, that's here. It's arrived. Um, The underpinning of how we interact with technology is changing all the rules. And a lot of what we're based on, a lot of what HubSpot's been doing, is trying to look ahead and see what the next change shift is going to be, the disruption in market, and how we can try and get ahead and understand how that might affect in advance. So this shift of technology is changing a lot of things in the consumer world. And as with many things, again, that consumer uh, signal we see ahead tends to impact the business world very significantly, and we're seeing that too. So given this is our new reality and people are interacting this way, the the obvious extension is people are no longer saying, I want to go on my desktop, uh, pull up a Google search engine, fire in a a couple of keywords and see what the responses come back on page one, two, three, and so on, and scroll through those and try and find which of those search answers is the most relevant one to me. People now want the answer. I want to ask for an answer. I want to get that one answer back from my device, whatever it might be, my assistant. Um, so the increasing change is don't give me options. Don't give me lists. Don't give me things I have to search through and, and material I have to try and find. Of all the things you presented, which one is the right one? Just give me the one. And that's increasingly a demand of consumers and all the generations coming through, which will absolutely be an expectation in the business world, where I search, I look, I want the answer. I don't want options. I don't want to search By extension, there's something interesting that is not here yet and won't be here quite yet for for some time, but we think of people saying it's more natural now to not have those 10 search Google search options and trying to figure out which one. The same logic applies to websites. So if somebody comes to your website, why wouldn't future, would they scroll through all of your content, look through all the pages, try and search and find and look through to find what they want? Um, The future of websites may be an assistant. might be an assistant sitting in front of your website saying, Thanks for coming to our site. What can I do for you? How can I help? What are you looking for? What's the answer you're looking for? Um, so there's a lot of big things coming, and this is stuff that's coming down the track. We're uh, thinking ahead of how do we start to think of that world where content is not presented and sorted and sifted through. One of the extensions of all this is that if keywords and how, the, how people search is changing, which it already has, and, uh, and this is something I want to touch on today, there's... There's a lot of work happening in the background. So Google is still the de facto standard we all look to in terms of search and content. The lot of changes Google have brought in since 2013 in background and really starting to surface now. So they have the Hummingbird algorithm in Google, which came out in 13, 14, um, right through into the current state, where they brought in RankBrain, some other new AI. And AI is very much taking over from algorithms. The old algorithm of 
if this is true, give me the answer, um, is, is being phased out. The AI of understanding the intent is the big thing. And again, you all know this, you, you'll see this every day, is um, people don't now search for uh, restaurants Islington. You don't type that in. People are now having conversational type searches. Where's a great restaurant nearby? So Google needs to try and understand that the words you're using, there aren't keywords that necessarily connect with your search. You have to understand those combination words usually mean you're, you're trying to ask something else. So it's connecting topics. And a lot of what's happening now is this, top, this sense of topic clusters. There's within Google, uh, and this is the, a pretty simple representation of it, um, Google is now saying, when you're asking about something, it's no longer about the word, and does that word exist on your site and your page and your content, but it's actually what's the topic you're generally trying to talk about, and who knows most about that topic. So this concept of having a topic cluster, we have a pillar content page which contains all the relevant information around that topic and clustering things around it. Um, so centre with this might be if you have a, a gym, a fitness gym, um, and maybe you do um, some, a certain kind of, of work. Let's say it's, it's weightlifting is, is core to your gym. There's probably a lot of other things around weightlifting, about health and diet and fitness and exercise and cardio and some other things. They're all clustered content that might be relevant to that topic. You care most about weightlifting. That's your core of your business. That's one of the, the main topics, main, main reasons for your company to exist. But there's a lot of associated things. When people say, hey, where can I work out? Workout might be over here, but it connects. So those clusters that sit around, this is now a discussion topic area. I need to build out these because this is now how people are searching, and this is how search engines are now working. So this is actually live. If ever you go into Google Search now, um, people may say, well, how do I know what topics are relevant? If you go in today, and you can maybe do this during the break, you go and search for a term, you'll see all these associated topics come up now below the search. They'll say other topics related to this search. So whatever your business is today, if you're in um, a beauty salon, a plumber, a builder, whatever your, your, top, your, your company is, if you search for that today, you'll see all those associated topics. And those are things Google is suggesting to you, saying, these are things you should have on your site. You should have these kind of topics should be clustered around your content as well, because we're going to start to direct people to your site. If they're looking for these things with the intent actually of trying to find you, they're trying to help you figure that stuff out today. Where it gets a little bit complicated is you could roll this up. So we've now got... Someone like ourselves, we have lots of, of pillar topics, pillar content pieces. So HubSpot is a complex company, and most companies are a little bit complex. And there may be in our world something around um, inbound marketing, around CRM, around HubSpot Academy, and so on. We could have big pillar topics that we think are, are large, complex units, each of which has a cluster of content around it. So this starts to now feel that there's quite a bit of work you need to do if you're going to build up your business and change how Google looks at your company, looks at your business, your online footprint. Because it's no longer looking for which of those words are contained on various pages of your site. So this is, this is suddenly feeling like a, a different challenge. And again, just to reinforce, this is happening right now. This is how Google searches and, and how it ranks today for your site. So this change has already come into effect. The good news is uh, we have Google uh, content, uh, sorry, HubSpot content strategy is baked into all products. So it's if you're a paid customer of uh, Basic Pro or Enterprise, any of our, our three core marketing products, this is contained already inside your product. If you're not using it, my call to action is please go look at it. Uh, take some time. Do a little bit of research. We have a bunch of content online to help you understand. There's a lot of free academy information about how to get your head around how this works. And it's very simply a tool that allows you to figure out 
the pillar page that you're building, all the associated clustered content and how to hyperlink to set that up and try and get all your content rearranged in the right order uh, for, to satisfy Google. And again, this is how people are searching and increasingly as the shift continues towards voice search and conversational search, um, this is going to be an increasing thing to get ahead of. The piece that we've looked at our side, and I should disclaim, this is illustrative only. I'm not actually sharing our, our data results. That's just a, a chart I pulled. Um, but what we have seen is um, internally we've started doing this a number of months ago, and we pulled uh, a bunch of our existing posts and began to cluster around topics that I've just described internally. So we've tested this ourselves. We've used it uh, over the last year. And all the posts that we had, that we clustered, we've seen a 50% jump in organic traffic to those posts since we've clustered and since Google has brought in the change. So it's, it's driving significant results. We've done a bunch of tests with customers as well, people in beta who, who tried this for us. and They've all seen similar jumps in, in, in uh, traffic being driven to site based off these new changes. So uh, there's an element of first mover advantage or early mover advantage here. Um, many companies... A, aren't even aware of this, and B, aren't doing anything about it. So, um, again, a, an interesting call to action is this is live, it's happened, it's already in place and has been for some time, so uh, do take time to, to look into it, at the very least. Um, and if you're a user of product, uh, I seriously suggest you leverage it. It's, it's in there, it's part of the product today. Great. Um, something else, uh, the bots are coming, and I, as I looked at that last night, I probably should say the bots are here. Uh, maybe to, to reinforce the same point. Um, people sometimes have this, this image when they think of, of bots, like a, a virtual version of this robot army that's coming to invade and take over and, uh, and, and has uh, evil intent at heart. Um, probably not helped by a lot of the stuff that's been in the press of late with the, the US elections and Russian bots and lots of stuff that's been happening in the press around has been trying to, to skew the election and, uh, and, and work, do some nefarious things. Um, there's many, many good bots. I'm going to focus on the good bots um, and in our world, we've got um, a number of things happening. Again, you're exposed to these uh, in the consumer world a lot today. Um, there is shop bots, there's uh, crawler bots, lots of things that work today for finding the best price for hotels, holidays, uh, lots of things that, that you use today and probably aren't fully aware even that, that that's what's happening. But those bots are doing lots of good things in background for you, of going and searching based on, again, some rules and algorithms they have as to how you should go and uh, service the response that, that's being asked on the website, whatever you've been on your consumer sites. In our world, um, we have a new addition to our family. Uh, it's called GrowthBot. It's our, uh, our newest child. Um, GrowthBot is a combination of a, a no-bot, where it's loaded up with a lot of information that, that we think is relevant to our industry or questions, information might be asked. Uh, it's a lot of the internal information we have, and we've got a lot of content, and we surfaced it through, through, through growth, GrowthBot um, as a crawler bot too. So it'll do all this in a chat functionality. So this is an app that works inside Slack. Um, and you can ask it a bunch of different questions. It'll go and get answers for you. Um, in my example, I just did this yesterday, was um, it can, you can ask a bunch of questions. It, uh, it'll give you suggestions as well. It, it offered me a bunch of things to say. Um, do you want to, uh, what keywords does this company rank for? Uh, what's the pay-per-click for this company? Um, show me a cartoon. Um, could give me some information about this company. What software does companies use? So a lot of things, again, this was just relevant to, to me and what I was looking for. Um, for the purpose of illustration, I threw in, okay, let me pick this one, which is what marketing software does Zendesk.com use? And it gives me the 14 different pieces of software that Zendesk are using. There's lots and lots of uh, applications here. This is a 
all public available information, but stuff that's kind of a little difficult sometimes for you to, to do yourself. Um, and can be something where this took uh, one minute between these two. So if you think of the application of contacting somebody and saying, I've got a bunch of questions about your company that are a little bit complex, um, often the individual will take quite some time to gather the information for you, surface it, get it back to you. Um, this stuff is 24-7. Bots are available online all the time. Uh, Cluett had a, a really interesting comment earlier when we were talking about bots that there's an element of how you might leverage bots for progressive profiling. Um, there's an interesting conversational element to arriving to a site and having a, a chat, a messenger chat with, with a bot, which is saying, how are you? What, what, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? What's your, what's your job? What's your company? It feels like you're just interacting with some conversation, but you've now collected five pieces of, of interesting data. Um, as that conversation goes, you could potentially be capturing more, which doesn't feel like heavy-duty form-filling, but it's more of a conversational piece, and the bot is completing your profile in the background. So it's interesting stuff. Um, the bot as well is, uh, it's got a, a small sense of humor at the, uh, this funny cartoon one piqued my interest and said, oh, go on, I'll, I'll have to have a look, so I'll, I'll share it with you um, to show that bots and, and marketers can have a sense of humor. Um, it shows me a Venn diagram um, between Santa Claus and the Fitbit Charge 2, of which I'm wearing one today, um, and says so the areas that are not common to two is Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, Fitbit Charge has interchangeable straps, but both know when you're sleeping, know when you're awake, and know when you've been bad or good. So I thought that was kind of funny for, for the holiday season that's in it. So bots have a lot of application. Um, one of the things around bots is the, the concept and, again, the trend of messaging um, in the business context. The, you Again, you'll have seen this, if anyone has, um, either for yourself or younger friends, cousins, relatives, children, whatever it might be, less and less calling, more and more messaging is the order of the day, and that's happening all the time. And that will continue and continue to happen where we're seeing the, the phone interaction piece drop off a cliff and, and messaging in all its forms is just jumping through the roof. Even emailing is not, no longer a conversation tool. Um, messaging is, is the future, and no better interface than a chat bot if it's a messaging piece of text interaction for bots to understand and interpret text with that AI behind it, a deep neural network of understanding the intent. When you ask those words, I think you mean this, here's the answer, um, and bots will learn as they continue to use this. Uh, so the, the future of having bots and having the concept of bots somewhere in our work environment is, not again, not just coming. It's already here. So within HubSpot specifically, um, back into maybe the, the core product, um, I thought it would be worthwhile sharing a little of how we're thinking from a, a product set uh, and how the, the future of our product is evolving as well. Um, this was our world. This has been over the last number of years. We've, uh, as a, a pretty agile company, we've tended to uh, develop and launch product and then iterate and understand how we need to develop a product based on feedback from user groups like this and beta groups, beta testing groups, and, and our business partners. Um, we had a lot of different products in the last number of years. Um, core HubSpot marketing at the center. Um, we had HubSpot signals, lead-in, CRM, sidekick, sales, like a lot of different products that aren't intuitive as to what any of those do and how they might work together. And in some ways, we were building these a little bit in silos. They were all natively built inside the company, so we've, we've built these out ourselves. But it was becoming a little bit disparate, uh, a little bit fragmented in terms of how these pieces might work together. Um, we've, this year, uh, taken a directional shift, which I think is a really good thing. We have what's called One HubSpot. It's a, an internal um, rally cry, if you like to say, let's simplify between products, brands, all the things that we're doing um, where we were starting to go in slightly different directions. Let's bring it under one umbrella. Uh, I'm going to share that with you today as to how we're thinking about that. So I always 
doubt sometimes I put things like these up because it reminds us how life is getting, getting by so fast. Um, about 11 years ago, 2006, uh, when HubSpot was started, uh, Niles Barkley, if anyone remembers, Crazy, remember that song? Crazy was biggest hit in the UK in 2006 and was 11 years ago, suddenly feeling old uh, that it was that long ago. But um, back then, we in HubSpot had this message, and this is one that um, some or many of you may have heard uh, if you're a, a user or a customer, you may have heard this somewhere along the path about the old marketing playbook is broken. Um, that was true and, and to many ways is still true today. Uh, maybe this is Narles' view of what was crazy. Um, but that, the way we were working was, was broken. And that's actually still true, but it's true actually in a broader sense. So we have the whole front office uh, concept of anywhere there's an interaction with your customers, there's a bunch of elements that are broken in that front office interaction, not just marketing piece and little of the journey we've taken is when we started focusing on that marketing funnel and understanding how do you change that interaction with prospects because they've already changed how do we adapt to the way people want to buy it then uncovered a few other things further down the funnel um, in the sales and in the customer service part of the business so we we still have this and this is again still true um, but honestly the the journey we've taken, this vision that we always had of finding these visitor, uh, strangers to visitors leads and bringing them through to becoming customers and delighting them um, was mostly a vision aspiration rather than a reality at the beginning because we were building from left to right to solve the marketing challenge that was over here, trying to fix the marketing broken playbook right through into selling and then managing customers. The great moment that we had, so we launched our sales product two years ago and just in the inbound conference that Cluid was talking about this year, uh, just gone, we announced a customer success product. So we now have, from left to right, um, all the way through the marketing product, the sales product, and now the customer product underpinned by our CRM. Can finally, for the first time ever, we've got the, the full journey of a visitor to stranger right the way through uh, to become a customer. And that entire journey is now mapped within a HubSpot environment, which we've never had before creating the stack concept that we have the, the different parts that fit together. The, the interesting part of this is it's actually a flywheel. And again, this is something that we internally uh, are doing ourselves and something that we're trying to share out to customers as well, is that you have the, the start of the flywheel being marketing. And we, again, firmly believe inbound marketing helps to drive better fits, more of them in a cost-efficient way. Um, and by driving your funnel through inbound, um, people will come to your sales function, which can now be managed through sales product in an inbound selling way, um, using some of the, the functionality and tools we have about letting people interact how they want, when they want, book meetings with you when they want, and message with you as they want to, all the things that, that people want to do nowadays, how they want to interact. And finally, they can come through to, to be managed in a way through the customer success product, um, which will drive NPS, it'll drive the right interactions, the way they want to interact. Um, and again, there's a significant play for bots in this space, where people say, I want a fast answer, I want the answer, I want it now, I want it 24-7, and that's the primary thing that will keep me happy. So there's a, an obvious correlation between use of bots in this space over here. But happy, satisfied customers generates more brand, more referral, trying to generate better business for you. And it starts to, to affect your position in market, which helps with your marketing, which helps with your sales, and this flywheel starts to gain momentum. So each of these parts feeds the other if we get these three pieces in sync. We've not been able to offer that to you to, to this point, but we are now, given that we have now the, the success product as part of our portfolio. Outside of that, um, there's a bunch of other things we don't do, 
um, and things we won't do. Um, a lot of great, great, great companies out there who very much specialise in certain areas, certain fields. Um, for your reason and for good reason, people prefer to keep that ecosystem of complementary products. Um, you like deep specialisation in certain products and, and things. Either it's just something that's used uh, and is embedded in your business, that's great, uh, or something you feel there's a bit more functional specialisation in those, those products, also fantastic. So how we integrate these into our ecosystem is really important. I've highlighted Shopify just because it's a, a new announcement we have. Um, we have an e-commerce bridge we've just announced. It's a native integration with Shopify. Um, again, trying to look ahead that um, all companies are effectively becoming e-com to some degree. There's a lot of, of e-commerce interaction happening online. Um, having something like Shopify integrate to our product natively with a lot of API integration is a requirement. We're trying to get ahead of that too. And that's the, the biggest one. There's a few others we're looking at as well. Um, but all of these uh, form part of our ecosystem to fill out the last part of, of our vision, which is this Connect program. This is the integration piece down here. Um, and I, I like this image just purely because, A, it shows the, the different components that we now have to complete the picture. But there's a reason why this is an oversized CRM component in the middle, uh, this, this CRM piece at the heart. Um, the, the final thought I'm going to leave with is that that concept of CRM is, again, connecting back to consumer and business, how those two parts are married together. Um, we are, again, all fully aware that in your consumer life, in your consumer world, um, you, your sense of identity online is something that many companies are interested in. Amazon, Facebook, um, Google are all very interested in understanding your profile, who you are, what you're all about, your preferences, your biases, your buying preferences, your relationships. They'd like to understand all of those things about you. And again, generationally, certain generations will have a sense of not being super comfortable having all that um, information known about me. The next generations coming through are not only accepting of it, they actually expect it. So thinking again of how these generations of consumers are coming through, they're totally fine that I, I assume when I go online, everything I, I share is out there. Um, it's the price to pay to get connected. The expectation for things like Google Now, where you walk down a street and Google Now will represent and say, hey, Christian, knowing that you're a cliched Irishman, you like a pint of Guinness, there's a pub nearby which has Guinness, something you might be interested in because that meeting you have isn't for a few more hours or whatever. Uh, and people actually want that. That's expected now that... You'll get, you'll get information presented to you based on you giving information, letting these various ecosystems understand and know you, um, and that will help your experience. So from a consumer perspective, my experience shoots up from a business perspective, having a, a huge database to mine of information about your, your target market, very valuable indeed. And that's somewhat assumed, and we get that and we see this all the time in the consumer world. But the concept of the contact in a business world it's exactly the same rationale, and that's coming. And again, if you think, in some ways, today, when we talk about contacts, if anybody, if you go back to your business and look at your list of contacts and what you know about them, it's probably demographic information, predominantly. It'll be who they are, their title, their phone number, email. There's probably not a ton more information you'll know about those folks. But as much as this is the present, that's very, very much the future. And being able to serve your customers and understand prospects, customers, about knowing them intimately, being able to represent the right information, tailored, customized interaction, they'll expect it, never mind, be okay with it. Um, you'll need to have some strategy of how are you going to start collecting more than just those demographic core pieces of information? What are all those other sources that people have? Um, and how can you start to get a fuller picture? The idea of that, back to our, our workflow of somebody who's 
before they become a customer, you can understand the journey they've taken, the things, the steps they've taken. There's a whole collection of information to understand the path and journey somebody takes, which is a much more interesting, holistic view of that contact. So uh, contacts are key, hence the CRM is the piece we see as the center of everything. Um, also from a pure business perspective in terms of how you operationalize your company, um, I've lived in a world where we had different products. We had a marketing product, a CRM product, a, a customer product. They are good. They don't fully interact well. They don't, they don't synchronize properly. We get difference of opinion of data. We get marketing and sales arm wrestling saying, well, my data says X and yours says Y. I, I think mine's correct. Using yours is, and never shall we agree. And you get this constant battle and friction between them as to interpretation of data and reports and views. Having one database that sits at the center of this, where it's a single piece of data, same consistent reporting, uh, it starts to remove all of those frictional points, and we just get down to, given the report says X, and we're both looking at the same report, let's start figuring out how we make this better. Let's invest our energy there rather than in internal fighting. So having one centralized source from a customer perspective and from prospect, very, very good for them and us, but also from an operational perspective, having CRM at the heart is important too. That's... That's it. Um, I did want to I said, give a little bit of a futuristic view of sorts about how we see things are happening, some things that are coming down the track, things that are here and coming. I um, want to share those with you. Uh, there is that first mover advantage piece I mentioned earlier. I'll uh, leave a Seth Godin quote that sometimes these things feel like, oh, sure, okay, but that's kind of off in the future. That's not really something I need to worry about today. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later, but, but a really nice quote um, just to connect with my Guinness story. Um, but uh, build a well before you, you get thirsty is probably a, an interesting way to, to close. We are. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, before you sit down, questions, please. Yes. Hello. I might not have been... Um, Jonathan, okay, sorry. I might not have been listening carefully enough. Forgive sure. me if you did answer this. Yes. Um, but uh, I recently went to a, a, um, a very good um, case study presentation by Deloitte. Right. We'd been putting this, uh, identifying the contacts thing right at the center of all of their systems. Right. Actually, they've been using, dirty word, Marketo, oh, uh, but as yes, their selection <laughs> for one of their engine. I mean, yes. obviously, they use loads of systems. Sure. But the key driver in all of this that got them going three years ago was uh, GDPR. Mm. And you haven't mentioned GDPR. Yes. Um, at least I missed it if you did. <laughs> but it was in the small print. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It but wasn't, you, yeah. you, you obviously made a big thing about bringing us all back to the one central database. Yes. And they came to the conclusion that the, really the only way such a big company could cope mm. with GDPR mm. was to come back and do the centralization of the database piece so yeah. that they were singing on the same hymn sheet in a way but not expressing it in the same way yeah. have you got comments about gdpr how hubspot are dealing with gdpr and how that fits with this strategy yeah um yeah I, I guess put simply we we're a clear fan of gdpr and for the reason you're describing that most prospects customers you speak to their challenges they have all these different systems and different uh, databases with either opt-ins not or whether they're collecting tra tracking and tracing that entire journey is nigh on impossible. It's very, very difficult and huge risk. If your audit say, we don't understand our own systems, somebody comes in and runs an audit, I'm, I'm in trouble. We're, we're at risk. Um, the idea of this piece, and again, I'll give you the, the simplified view of somebody who started afresh or a, a small business saying, let's begin to attract people through this. The whole piece is, is very, very simple from a GDPR of the first time they interacted with us, this is what they did. Here's what they explicitly opted in. Uh, we could, that's easy and simple to track and show. And then during the journey, we've given them options. They're able to, to unsubscribe or opt out at any point. We can show all that very, very simply. Uh, there's only one contact record for that person. 
he doesn't, she doesn't exist in six different systems that we may or may not even be aware of. Um, so that concept is, is one that we're um, certainly a fan of and pro. The challenge for a lot of companies today, and this is real life stuff, um, migrating off an existing system or trying to, to clean up an existing environment is incredibly difficult. Um, we are getting a lot of inquiries about it based off this. People understand that the, the Marketo world, and I, I lived in that world too, um, Marketo, Salesforce, two amazing companies who individually do amazing things. The, the interaction and integration and sync between those two isn't perfect, and it can't be. They're, they're just two different products, different objects, different reporting, different views, different databases, but you're trying to keep those in sync as much as you can, and there's, depending on the size of your database and complexity of what you're ga- capturing, there's like a myriad of things could potentially go wrong. Um, I think people from a, a German perspective is probably a, the most interesting benchmark we have. Our, our, we've just opened an office in Berlin. Um, we went to talk about HubSpot, and they said, no, 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 GDPR, it's all we want to talk about, which is understandable. Our Germans set a high bar. Um, they are signing off to say that we are GDPR compliant. Um, it's still a little unclear, and to be fair, GDPR is in May next year. Um, the, the devil in the detail of what that really means will, will come out, I think, close to the time. Um, but generally, the concept of um, having clean data, clean contacts is one that we've been uh, evangelizing for a long time. Um, we do a purge on our own systems regularly of contacts who haven't interacted with us. We delete a bunch of contacts all the time. They don't ask us to. We just get rid of them because we know that uh, from your email opening rates and your, uh, your, your white hat lead scoring, we say we don't want um, a lot of data that's redundant or dormant in our systems. And we don't want to manage that data. We don't want to try and interact with it. Um, they will come back to us if, if the need reoccurs. So probably in terms of the parallel thinking of should you remove contacts and is it important to keep the user intent and user action at center of it, I think we're already doing that. Um, and GDPR is, is something that we're fans of. The, um, I like the idea it's keeping companies in general on their toes, that the, the fines and the impact of, of not being compliant is much, much more significant. I think that's a great thing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Could I have a follow-up question to that? Sure. Because um, in the world that we're in here, this is financial services territory, right? Yes. Um, and fintech particularly is concerned about data location. Yes. And the Germans, as you know, are, are very focused on that. Yes. Um, to date, HubSpot have had all of their data held in U.S. servers. Yeah. Is there a move to change that? Is, 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 uh, is it, there is. What aware of all, all of that? There is. Um, before I give you the punchline, um, I'll talk a little of, of, of data in general. I think um, we did a bunch of work, on, again, in, in preparation for GDPR and, and over the last few years uh, with data security in general. There is, I think, a, a real challenge to try and get a, a version of reality, which is that data generally today, it's very, very difficult to conceive data as being boundaried by countries, by jurisdictions in the truest sense. So I'll give you a real example. The, we started looking at, at a data center for Europe and said, let's figure out what needs to be done. Um, the, the reality of all data centers is there's typically a clause that says we will host and store your data in country X, but by the way, if on the odd chance we need to do something with it, we reserve the right to still repatriate your data back to US or wherever it might be. And that's usually because if something goes wrong with, with the infrastructure, um, the highest paid, most uh, capable engineers are usually the ones that sit in head office or somewhere, and they say, if we're going to fix this problem, we may need to dive in to the European data set and take a look and see what's happening and what's going wrong. And to do that, they physically don't fly. They'll go and they'll pull the data back to US. And pretty much every company that has 
a non-US data centre has that clause in contract to say, we will house and store your data, but by the way, just in case, we need to let you know that we might from time to time need to, to look at your data from US. So technically, your data is not fully secured in, in, in Europe. Um, the way some companies have looked at it is said, well, if my data is stored in Europe, do I still then have uh, surety that my data is not discoverable by the US government? And the answer is no, it's not, because if your data is housed in the US but owned by a US company, uh, US, can, US government can uh, discover and explore that data and ask for it to be repatriated if they show due course. Got to go through the courts, got to have a search warrant, they've got to do all the right things. But if they can go as far as to say, we have reason to believe that data is material to an investigation, they can ask for it to be repatriated. Now, there's been a bunch of cases where European individuals or companies have fought the, the US government, but effectively the US law is set up to say that they have the right to go and look for that data. Whether or not they can prove they have the right to get it is the other, the other point. But again, even your data sitting in Europe, it's not entirely secured in that true sense. Um, one thing that Microsoft did, um, back to the financial services, because in Germany, um, they have obviously a huge financial services in Frankfurt. And the Microsoft answer was to say, well, rather than us being asked, because we're a US company by the government, um, how about we create a thing called a data trustee? And they worked with one of the big telco companies, um, I think it was Deutsche Telekom, to say, we'll give you the data that we own. It's sitting in German, it's German data. So we'll give it to you, you mind it for us. And then if we get asked, we'll say, we don't have it, Deutsche Telekom have it. They're our data trustee. So legally, you can't uh, comply, you can't uh, compel them to send the data back, which actually worked. And uh, German customs thought, this is great, so finally we have a, a legal break where uh, there's a, a wall between US government and, and our data. But then German customers uh, went, hit the roof a little bit to say, who's got our data? Because we signed up with you guys to give you a contract and you're legally bound to look after our data for us. But now a third party has our data. We have no legal recourse with those guys. That's not going to work either. You can't just give our data to some other company and say, trust us, they're fine, we know them. So they, the whole thing fell apart as well. And it's being renegotiated now at the moment. So the reason to tell the story is it's a very complex topic. And there isn't really a single one way of saying, if it's physically in this building, that building sits inside that country, therefore it's watertightly in that jurisdiction. That's end of story. Um, there's just a reality, I think, of, again, both consumer and business data that this stuff will travel and this stuff is... Uh, the whole concept, and, and I know Google obviously would, would advocate strongly for this, as would Amazon, that the, the leveraging of cloud is that this thing is shared across a lot of jurisdictions. Um, it's, it's got uh, availability, downtime, uptime across various different jurisdictions too to make this thing work. Um, trying, to contap- trying to capture those inside certain jurisdictions is difficult. Um, having said all of that, the reality today is that companies and consumers will say, sure, but I still want my data somewhere I can see it, touch it, or know it's, it's inside an EU jurisdiction. Um, and we have taken a decision, to my punchline, that uh, in Germany next year, in Q1, we'll be opening a data centre in Germany. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll announce that in due course, more detail to follow. But we've been doing a lot of work in background to get ready for that. So we will have a, a European data centre in Q1 of next year. So uh, all things being considered, as I, I just gave you the context around. Fantastic. Thank you. Yep. Questions? Hi. Um, Hi. So you. Okay, great. So you talk about um, doing regular purges with your within your database. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you have millions of 
contacts and uh, you know it can be easy to just select the best ones and only engage with those mm. um, I have I, I work for a small company so um, every single contact that we have is very precious to us mm. some of them are customers some of them are leads and we want to make sure that we're there um, whenever they're ready to buy or um, when they're ready for an upsell sure. and um, I really don't want to lose any of them. Some <laughs> of them have engaged after a couple of years of getting emails from us. Yep. And they had that light bulb moment when they said, well, we want to, to work with you again. Yep. Um, how do we, what, how would you recommend to deal with, with that type of data? So I guess part one is never delete your customers. That's probably an important one. So for sure, um, I guess the quick answer is all leads or all contacts are not created equal is, is probably my answer. And um, customer contacts, for sure, you have them, keep them, and, and they fall into that customer success category of however you're treating them today, of keeping them informed, keeping them aware of either new offerings you have um, is something you should absolutely do, and, and that's sacred. Um, I think it's more top of funnel is, is where we purge, certainly, where we have potential visitors who have come, had a look, um, probably have not really hit a certain level of um, buying intent or activity behaviors. We say we've got an internal uh, HubSpot scoring, which is the same as the lead scoring that's available in our product. We use the same one ourselves. That if, if you're not achieving a certain level, um, we will try and nurture you at that point to try and encourage that looks like you're dipping your toe, you're trying to find out some information, how else can we help, what else can we do for you. Ultimately, if those people are not progressing, and that could be in your world um, 10 people per year, ours might be 10 million a year, whatever the, the ratio, it's, it's still the same concept that those individuals who don't ever get beyond a point of intent, um, there is very little point in trying to continue to, to keep those contacts nurtured and alive. If they do go and go somewhere, there's likely, the, again, if you're using an inbound uh, uh, approach for people are going to come back in a year and say, okay, that thing we never got to, let's look at it again. They're, they'll find you again and they'll come back through the same channels. That's the, the idea. The, the downside of you emailing and nurturing somebody consistently and, and constantly without any reply from them, it will affect your, your, your email scoring. So uh, you, you will over time, and it's, it's a terrible habit to get into of having those 10 happen to be 20 and becomes 100, and then a sales rep says, I have a, I have a whole bunch of folks, you can throw them into the database and see what happens. Maybe we'll get something out of those. And you encourage this database of just crappy leads, crappy contacts that aren't actually real aren't real at all. Um, and now you've got either a bigger data set trying to sort good from bad and can't tell the difference. Um, you might feel good that you're sending a thousand emails a month, but actually if those email addresses are dead or have reported you as spam, this is, these are all bad outcomes. Um, it'd be much better to, to focus your effort on those that are showing some kind of intent. Um, and we do break up emails and there's, there's times where we'll say to people, hey, it looks like you, you haven't kind of opened any of our mails in a while or um, you, you haven't come back, so we're going to break up with you. I hope that's Cool, if not, let us know. And we do get a bunch of people go, no, actually, keep me, keep me on your list. I'm, I don't get much time to do it, but I like to, to know it's in my inbox. And that's cool, that's fine. But um, we do get ones that go, yeah, thank God, like, you've just been pounding me with stuff that I've, I meant to unsubscribe, I never did, but yes, like, I want to go. It's just, that's okay. There's also a GDPR element yep. to that, yep. um, both in the initial permission, so yep. email and contact that person, yes. but the refreshing of that permission. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's maybe even more of an issue for HubSpot with its, with its millions of uh, uh, contacts in the yes. database where you have to go back at some point, and I don't think it's defined in the legislature when right. you actually have to go back, Yes. but you have to essentially 
be able to prove that you've got ongoing yes. emission. Yeah. And the consequences of getting that wrong in terms of um, uh, fines are mm. considerable. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the percentages of, of annual turnover. Yeah, correct. Uh, which, which is a big, big change from the um, data protection That's laws right. that have been in place. Yep. So yeah, there's a, the, just f um, for people's benefit, there is a HubSpot um, subsite dedicated to GDPR. Yes, yes, there is. Really worth looking at that. Yeah. Looking at that. Yes. Um, hey, uh, you mentioned the growth bot that's here or coming or here. Yes, it's here. It's here. Um, is that seems to mainly be for kind of querying third-party consumer information or customer information. Is there any way of querying your actual HubSpot database with a tool like that, or is that in the pipeline in any way? We have quite a spread-out global team. Mm -hmm. If you were able to write in Slack, how many users do we have in Saudi Arabia? That would be hugely useful. Yeah, it's it's not available today. The so growth bot itself is six months old. Um, still relative infant uh, in technology terms. Um, the so Darmesh, our co-founder, has built it. It's his baby. Um, so at the moment he's building out, essentially trying to figure how does it work, what, what works and what doesn't in the functionality before he goes, goes broader on it. So quick answer, we don't have it today, um, but that's exactly the kind of usage we should have. And whether we um, monetize it as being a product people can buy or bake it as part of our product, uh, it's likely to be the second one. Where people can start to, to leverage it within product, how you see fit and how you want to offer it to your customers. So they can be discover within your database answers to whatever kind of questions you might be getting quite regularly. Um, I think for as an analytics questioning tool, which maybe is part of your question, um, not sure. Not sure. I don't know if he has that in scope at the moment. It's it's a good question to take back though, um, but I've not heard it being discussed at the moment. So, uh, if it is a good idea, I'll I'll say it was my idea. Is that okay? <laughs> Thanks. Great. The, the other thing about bot technology is HubSpot themselves have purchased a company recently, um, and that's more an outward-facing mm -hmm. bot. Yep. Could you maybe? Go into that in a bit more detail. Like oh, where you see that? If changing. I could, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know a bunch of the ins and outs of, of what that functionality is, but that is absolutely the intent. Yeah. To try and build out that strength. But um, uh, the growth part was originally designed by Darmesh himself, which inspired him to, to look externally and see what interesting acquisitions might be available. Um, we actually have people internally now creating their own bots, which is uh, kind of a little freaky. We've individuals have their. Uh, we have a guy in our sales enablement team who, if you're asking questions about uh, where to get certain content, he's, he's now a bot. He's, uh, he's trying to retire himself, which I think is kind of interesting, um, to, to varying degrees of success. But um, yeah. I mean, it, we sort of had a conversation a little bit about that mm -hmm. before the whole thing kicked off. And it's also an ongoing discussion about the change of the inbound methodology, if we can sort of get philo philosophical about it, right? <laughs> um, Inbound from day one is all about really collecting information from people, segmenting your database, mm -hmm. and then feeding them information that they, is relevant to them where they are in their buyer journey. But that traditionally has been done by a form mm -hmm. and a gated piece of content. Right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's how it's been done since day one. Um, with this disparate tech environment now, where you've got multiple channels, you've got bots, um, you've got reverse IP. The systems know an awful lot more about you. Do you see that traditional gated inbound way of working, mm. um, one becoming less effective and, and becoming less common? Yep. Yes, I do. I, and to tie back to the, the new content strategy and how content has changed in Google, um, some of Google's um, 
reason for doing this is to ungate content. It's, it's seeking now that those pillar topics and cluster contents should be ungated so they can be discovered by Google, and it will offer those as being ungated pieces of content, which contradicts entirely some of the, the forum-based content strategy that's existed in the past. So what do you do? Well, it's back to that same piece. If there's a messaging interaction where our content is now discoverable, but when you arrive there, uh, you have messaging or, or either your own people on a messenger and or bot saying, great, you've arrived, and this is clearly interesting for you. How can I help? What else do you need? And we can start to do some of that progressive profiling through yeah. messaging and bots is absolutely going to be the yeah. future. That's so, some of the interesting stats I was hearing, um, it depends, obviously, on the quality of the offer that you've got, mm. your conversion rates. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're doing 10%, 20% conversion rates, you're doing really, really well. Yep. Um, the guys who are doing bots instead of a form, mm -hmm. we're getting something like 40%, 50% conversion rates. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's a much more natural way to progressively ask for a series of questions, and then suddenly you've got all the items on your list. Yes. Right. Yep. So it's, 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 I think it's going to be a good thing for, yep. for inbound. And it, it's not, and just to maybe remove some panic in the room, if you have forms, keep your forms. Those are still <laughs> relevant and valid and will be for some time. But but this is trying to get a sense of what yeah. the future is bringing. A-B so. split testing is yes. a really wonderful thing. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Adam from Boom. We're a HubSpot partner. Hey, Adam. Just interested to know a little bit more about the enterprise market and what the mm -hmm. strategy is there, because somebody mentioned Marketo mm. earlier, and obviously you've got this fantastic kind of runway from all your free products yep. to all the mid-market products and so on. So what's the plan with taking on the Marketos and the eloquence of this world? Yes, um, where we've seen success so far, and maybe I should start with the origin of HubSpot was not an enterprise player. From, from the outset, it was a, an SMB player. Um, still, fundamentally, we are, we're, we're in that space. I think that's where we, we do best today. Um, what we've seen a lot of traction is companies who have got subsidies and entities and, and, and parts of their business that effectively work like a mid-market company and say, we've got local decision-making, uh, we've got a local problem to solve. Um, we've sold very effectively into those companies. Um, we've since had... I think in the last two years, a lot of very large logoed companies saying, we didn't realize you guys are in many of our entities. We want to normalize our relationship, which is slightly not answering your question, but where they say, we're happy that all those different companies, or different either companies, uh, product groups, or entities in our business are using you, that's fine, and it solves what they want. Um, but we want to normalize um, SLA, legal terms, discounts, pricing structure, all those things, because we have a little bit of chaos when we try and figure out how we're interacting with you guys. So that piece we're able to solve relatively easily. We have a, a key account program now. We started about a year and a half ago to say, if you're one of those companies that wants that enterprise type relationship, uh, we can assign uh, a, an individual person internally just to give you that one-to-one -one relationship, which is, solves that piece. From a product perspective, um, the product architecture is the one we're discussing a lot, and we're discussing this right now, actually, as part of the next wave of product development. Um, I don't have a big reveal for you today, but the the concept of data partitioning and workspaces is probably the one that differentiates us with Marketo or Eloqua today, where that idea of having one centralized database, you can segment by workspace and or uh, data set, whatever that might mean for you, be it uh, customer or content data set. Um, so you have somebody centrally seeing all that picture in one place. Today we don't have that, so you'd have um, either consolidated reports, which allows some degree of, of uh, analysis, but 
probably doesn't quite have the same functionality as Eloqua and, Marque- and um, Marketo. So the decision becomes, do we, is that something interesting for us to go and do? Um, it's not just make that happen, because almost by, by, by ch- making that change, if we were to make it, we would have to re-engineer our sales org and services organization as well, and channel, and all the associated parts that come with it to say, if we're going to sell to enterprise companies because we now can, are we ready? And what does that mean? And how much does that change our focus? Does it dilute our efforts? Um, so it's, it's quite a big strategic conversation rather than the, the functionality of changing product is the easiest of, of the elements. Um, but by doing that would, would change our DNA quite a piece. And structurally, we'd have to re-engineer a bunch of things, which we're debating at the moment. So we'll let you know as soon as we have something. But it's, it's definitely it's, it's topic for discussion at the moment. So Can I push you a little bit on that um sure. specific i'll try i might push it back but that's yeah, okay it's, it's all good yeah um specifically salesforce yes um there's always been a really strong relationship between hubspot and salesforce going yes. back uh, a long long time mm-hmm. tight integration between the two products yeah hubspot have always said that they're not after the the salesforce um market that's the big enterprise stuff mm-hmm. but if you look at what hubspot are doing rather than what they're saying mm-hmm. Um, they're building out the uh, pro CRM functionality. Mm-hmm. Their pricing structure is changing so that it actually looks more like a professional sales tool. Yep. And the functionality is very rich. Now, obviously, Salesforce has a, has a massive amount of functionality that you're sure. not even close to yet. But yep. in terms of, of base sales functionality, mm-hmm. um, it's getting close. Mm. Is, is, do you see that as, as the direction as, as you essentially slowly, slowly... Um, moving up that ladder to to take on more enterprise type clients. Yep, I think it's. We're, I think we're being pulled into that space rather than just intentionally wanting to push as hard into it. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a great relationship with Salesforce, and there is, um, again, for full disclosure, because we work so closely with them, we are uh, using Salesforce for some of our internal systems at the moment. Um, we we do have a a non-aggression agreement, a non-disparaging agreement. Um, so if I would hope if this was Salesforce room, they would say good things about us too. Um, but that, with that said, there is, I think, a reality where um, that market, again, probably the, the small to medium business market, I think there's a requirement for an alternative. I think there's a demand for it. There's a need. Um, it's part of why we started looking at CRM in the very first place, that um, we were getting a lot of people saying, great that you guys have helped solve the market problem, but... We're now not able to really trans- transition that into our Salesforce environment truly, and we're losing a lot of the value when we transition across. Plus, Salesforce is or isn't doing what we need it to do. Um, can you guys help? And the answer was nope. It's today no, but uh, that began to plant the seed of this is something we should look at, and let's, mm-hmm. let's see is this something we're interested in, in moving into. Um, I think there will be, to the, the graphic earlier, the CRM at the center. Um, I think the CRM sales market... It's enormous. Um, for EMEA, um, the marketing market is worth about $3.8, $3.9 billion across all of EMEA. Um, again, that's the entire top to bottom of the market across all countries. The sales CRM is about $16.9 billion. So it's a, a massive, much more significant space. Um, are we interested in being involved in that space? Of course we are. Yeah, yeah we and are. And also from sure. a practical experience, you know, as a, as a customer, but also as a partner, we're seeing... And I think Ed's going to cover a lot of this in, in, in his presentation mm-hmm. a little later on. Is the middle of the funnel, mm-hmm. that interface between yep. marketing and sales, the handover process, it's where the real value um, can, can be um, gained for a company implementing yep. solutions. And if you've got a database that spans 
both marketing and sales yeah. is fully integrated. It just makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it felt like something of a crying shame to have collected all this rich data about the journey this person had taken and all the, the things they discovered and what they didn't, didn't, didn't know by the time they spoke to sales and losing that just to become a, a name and a phone number potentially being migrated into, into the sales environment. They say, I have no real concept of what's happened so far. Yes. And then that customer experience becomes, oh gosh, really, I've got to start from square one and start to explain everything. Um, and by the way, the things you're now offering to me are things I've already read and already seen. I've, I've been on your site, but that experience just felt broken. So yeah. um, the, the inbound sales component to add to the inbound marketing just and feel, also felt like that plays onto the customer hub functionality yep. that's coming through yep. later in the year. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, following on uh, on the question about that shift in strategy sure. um, I've noticed there be there's been a shift in pricing mm -hmm. uh, this year so right. do you think um, that will continue moving forward or is that something that's okay this has happened mm -hmm. and we'll keep it like this for a little while on sales products specifically um, or I which well I was looking was at marketing okay um, Marketing, we, we purely had a currency change. I think that was, it shouldn't have been a large, if, if it was just the marketing piece, we've, we've worked off um, a 0.75 exchange rate, which was set, I think, about eight or nine years ago, um, between uh, sterling and dollars, sorry, between euros and dollars was 0.75, um, and the sterling was something similar, was set way back when, um, which meant the pricing was out of whack, and we had sat in it for quite some time to say, given there's a lot of market turmoils, um, we should wait and see how this settles and what the, is this a rebound? And we left it for many years. Um, I think we're at steady state now. I don't think those, those uh, currency changes are going to bounce back to where they were. Uh, so we took a decision just to normalize, and that was, that was purely it. It was just a, a currency uh, normalization. Um, assuming currencies don't swing vastly in the future, then, then there won't be a change. So, yeah, th that was the rationale behind it. Okay, let's take a break. Let's have a coffee and get back at 11 o'clock. Okay, so we're back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.